Welcome to a brand new episode of Front End Happy Hour. This is episode 45, and we are joined by a special guest, Bianca Bordalusi, who is on a recruiting team at Netflix. She has joined us to help discuss ways to help your engineering profile stand out to recruiters and hiring managers. Bianca, can you give us a brief introduction of who you are, what you do, and what your favorite happy hour beverage is? Yes, I can. Hi, everyone. Um, I'm Bianca Wardalusi. I support UI engineering here at Netflix as well as streaming client technologies. Um, I'm a recruiter for both organizations and help recruit software engineers uh, who help build Netflix for you. Um, what was the other question? My happy hour drink? Yeah, what's your favorite happy hour beverage? Embarrassingly, Coors Light. Nothing embarrassing <laughs> about Coors Light. We are drinking Coors Light today. Let's go around the table and give brief introductions of today's episode's panelists. Mars, you want to start it off? Sure. Hi, I'm Mars Julian. I'm a senior software engineer at Netflix, and I snuck through the recruiting pipeline somehow. <laughs> <laughs> Bianca wasn't on your panel. I didn't mean to. Just kidding. <laughs> Uh, Jim Young, Senior Software Engineer at Netflix. I'm Ryan Anklum, making my return to Fun and Happy Hour after a couple episodes off. Mm. I'm a software engineer at Netflix. A couple episodes? Eh, just a couple, you know. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm Ryan Burgess. I'm a software engineering manager at Netflix. In each episode of the Front End Happy Hour podcast, we like to choose a keyword that if it's mentioned at all in the episode, we will all take a drink. What did we decide today's keyword is? Skills. Skill. Skills. So if we say the word skills at all in the episode, we will all take a drink. All right, well, let's get started and jump right in. When you're looking for an engineering candidate, what types of things are you looking for? I'm looking for a good smile and a good <laughs> sense of humor. Hey, that's fair. I mean, you got to work with that person. If they're giving you... Jem gives dirty looks here, right? or we what? Walked out of Jem's interview saying, man, I want to have a beer with him. That was a mistake. <laughs> <laughs> no, here we are having beers on... <laughs> Yes, we are. At work, by the way. So I would say that there's two types of, of things that we look for. Um, there's the on-paper skills <laughs> that uh, we... Yep. Cheers. Cheers. That we look at, whether that's qualifications for the role itself, looking at technologies, projects that somebody's worked on, um, or just relevance to the role in general. Um, and then there's the off-paper uh, things that we look for in, in engineers, like ability to work cross-functionally, to communicate their ideas well, to be able to push back um, and defend uh, their opinion, and also really just to take ownership and, and complete things end-to-end. -end. Uh, those are all kind of on the soft skill side that we don't get on paper, um, but we look, I look for, at least in, in my initial conversations and, and on-site. Yeah, I think I also look for like excitement around a role too, because I think we can all be coding for whatever, like it could be working for like bank software, it could be working for a small startup, it could be working for a big company, uh, could be working for Netflix, helping people watch great shows. But it's like, are you passionate about the work that's being done? It could all be the same code base, but like, what are you trying to create? And I think I, I always want to see someone that's really interested in what they're working on as well. I think that's another thing I would add to that. What about you guys when you're interviewing? Because you have to, you get pulled into interviews all the time. What are some things that you look for in a candidate? Maybe it's technical skills, but also some of the soft skills as well. Oh, jeez. Oh, so oh, many, so oh, many. Cheers. Similar to, to Ryan, uh, ankle. <laughs> to Ryan. Like someone I want to work with, someone that is passionate about what they do. If you spent the past 10 years of your life writing code, you should be somewhat passionate about it. Or are you just, doing it for the money or you yeah you just like be excited and be able to explain things 
uh, like what you said, Bianca, like have opinions, be able to defend them. But it's like a balance, right? You want to have, you want someone who's has opinions, but is not opinionated. As in, well, no, you're wrong. Like, argue your point, but if you're wrong, like, it's like, okay. Has empathy. Yeah, has empathy. Perfect. And that's, you're right, that's hard to see on paper, and that you can only get that when you're talking to somebody. I wonder also, like, if you could maybe enhance, or just expand on that answer a bit, like, if it depends on the seniority of the role that you're looking for. Um, I was having this conversation with someone the other day about um, sort of, like, where soft skills become a really important cheers <laughs> cheers <laughs> really important part of um, the job and I think they become more and more recognized as you become more and more senior and does that is that something that plays into how you look at um, different candidates coming through the pipeline depending on what position they're applying for yeah um, that's a really good question and I think it definitely comes into play depending on the nature of the role. So some roles are more cross-functional in nature. People are gonna, you guys, for example, all work with product and design. Some of you work with partner engagement managers, um, marketing, for example. And then other roles are um, a little bit more siloed into the work that they're doing. Maybe they're Mm -hmm. working on internal tools um, or on a project that doesn't need a lot of cross-functional interaction. And so I wouldn't say that necessarily years of experience equals someone having the ability to be able to have that cross-functional communication and professional maturity in their communication, but oftentimes it it does look like that. Um, Just because people with more more experience have kind of that been there, done that attitude, and they can walk into a room and really assess from that angle of, I have the experience here, I know how to kind of command the room, versus when you're still early on in your career, you're still navigating that and Mm -hmm. trying to figure out not just your voice, but also how do you have these tough conversations and what are the solutions that you should be coming up with right does that answer that yeah no it does yeah it does yeah and i think even to your point too is like if you're working on internal tools you still have stakeholders and people that you do have to deal with so i think there is at any point in time there is a bit of soft skills cheers another one for me too that i think is really important that i always look for is questions for me or mm-hmm. questions like it doesn't matter at any point, even sometimes I'm on, um, like I'll interview designers or other engineers. I, I want questions about anything, like whether it's like, what do I do? How do they work with me? What's the goals of our business? Anything. They're definitely just showing interest in and kind of exploring and asking questions is really, really useful. I've had interviews where they're like, oh, no questions. And I, I kind of actually question that. It's like, really? You have nothing? You're not interested in knowing more about anything? You're not concerned about anything? It's like that that always a bit of a red flag for me. That's a really good point. The one caveat that I would add is just thoughtful questions. True. So I think we've all been there when candidates ask you and have asked everyone in the panel the same question. You're like, hmm, okay. I can answer this question. I can't think of one top of mind, but I know I've been in those situations. So I wouldn't necessarily say that every question is a good question, but there are, the majority of questions are good questions and curiosity goes a heck of a long way um, for most people, especially in Netflix. And I'm, I'm assuming really industry-wide, you showing curiosity about the role, the impact, what if people even like their jobs um all of that is a good good indicator that you're taking it really seriously otherwise it kind of seems like you're just going through the motions and 
you feel like you kind of deserve the role. I also really like it when candidates ask me follow-up questions. So they'll ask me a question, I'll answer it, and then they'll kind of elaborate on my question or my answer and ask me more questions based on that. Like from a technical uh, question or just well, either, either one. Or a lot of people ask about the culture here or yeah. you know what technologies are working with, and they don't just stop right there. They kind of dig a little deeper. And I always really like that. Are you using React? You're like, yes. Okay. <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah. It's like, how are you using it? Are you using Redux? Or like, I, I get your point. Digging in further shows more interest. I guess to a bad example of a question, there's one time. And it wasn't at Netflix that I was asked this, and I think it would be more applicable if it was at Netflix. I did get asked one question when I asked that in an interview is, hey, any questions for me? It was at another company. Someone was like, what's your favorite movie? Mm-hmm. And I felt like, what what are you getting out of that uh, mm-hmm. question? So I, th- I think there are some bad questions, to your point, Bianca, that people yeah. could have a bad bad question. Yeah. I mean, it's far and few between, but thoughtfulness in the question that you ask goes really a far, far ways for most people. It definitely does for me, especially when I'm stumped. I'm like, wow, thank you for stumping me. Topic of questions too, sort of, I find that it's it's really refreshing also to have candidates who will ask you questions like during the technical part as well. And even if it's supposed to like not meant to, but it exposes a vulnerability, um, at least, or a vulnerability that they feel in their technical knowledge. And I think that's always been really interesting because it's someone who's not afraid to show perhaps the things they don't know in order to get to the best solution um, and, and show a bit of humility or, you know, the ability to just kind of be able to be vulnerable in front of coworkers or, or colleagues, which can happen a lot, or you need to be able to do that sometimes in a professional setting. Yeah, I, th- I think that's actually really good is you're given these problems like a whiteboarding problem and it's It's not necessarily presented to you in full context. You have to ask follow-up questions and how to best approach it. And I think those questions are really important because it also shows how do you work together as engineers? Like I think of that whiteboarding question, those technical questions, they're not just about stumping someone. It's really about how do we work together on a problem? How do you problem solve? Yeah, how do you problem solve? Mm -hmm. How do you work together? Like when we're interviewing someone, we're not sitting there just watching them code. It's like how how do they engage me in this as well? It's one of the bigger dings that I see and when we have debriefs, when the engineers come in, they say, oh, this person jumped right to, a co- right to a solution without asking any questions. It's by far the most common trend that I see candidates um, make a mistake on in whiteboarding or any sort of the technical ex- exercises is not asking follow-up questions. Yeah, that's a great, I think, great note for anybody out there <clears throat> is when we do do whiteboarding exercises, very rarely is it actually about the code. A lot of times it's about your thought process and how you approach the problem and how you talk about the problem. Um, so I think whiteboarding gets a, a very bad rep, uh, but I don't think it has to. I think it, there's actually a, ver- a lot of value to it. In our defense, though, we specifically do not ask trick questions. Like, we're not trying to stump you and see, like, how out of the box you think. It's like a simple problem, and it's yeah, yeah. exactly right, like, how you solve problems. Other companies, I think, do ask trick questions, though, that are like, yeah. how clever are you standing in front of a board? And that's that's not the way we do things. Or see as fundamentals that you haven't touched since your freshman year of college. Yeah, yeah. We, I always say to everybody walks in the room, I'm like, look, these are going to be questions that are relevant to your experience and relevant to what you're going to do. I'm not trying to trick you. And like, it's a conversation, so just like talk it out. That's it. I like that approach, too, because, yeah, we're trying to solve a problem that you would have in a day-to-day job it's not 
hey, CS fun- fundamentals that you have to go do that you're like, oh, wait, I'm not doing this daily or I, I can at least look that up on a Google search. And, and I'm probably never going to do this. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I'd be interested, too, is how important is a resume nowadays? So in my opinion, I think it's pretty important. And I think it's important in the way that you display the information about your skill set. Uh, and the reason why I say that is it's, you know, we look at resumes for about 30 seconds and then we decide to pass or, or move you forward. And in other companies, you're fighting with a computer generated system that just kind of spits it through. The computer decides who moves forward and who doesn't. At Netflix, we look at those resumes. And so for me, um, it's, it's pretty important. Um, but the more important thing is really someone being able to articulate what they did very concisely and in a way that's easy to read. So I get a lot of resumes that are three plus pages long, that have a ton of buzzwords on them. If you have listed 15 programming languages, I don't believe that you're proficient in all 15. Uh, and so it makes it really hard for us to determine like who's good at what and what did you actually do? And so when you're thinking about a resume and writing one, my biggest suggestion is um, cut it down. Less (laughs) is more, for sure, uh, because we don't spend more than 30 seconds to a minute looking at it. And we don't read the whole thing either. Unfortunately, we just don't have time. So writing all of the key things that you've done, the projects that you've worked on, what you've owned, that's probably the most important thing. And then also not muddying it up with extra technologies. Because if you say you're proficient in Java, we test you in Java and you're not, it's not a good look for sure. I know I've even left things like Java off my resume or like (laughs) .NET, things that I've totally done at some point in time not something I want to do. So I actually leave it off my resume because I do not want that bot picking it up and saying, oh, he has that skill set. Cheers. Cheers. <laughs> Cheers. I've done the exact same thing with Java. I've just taken it off my resume. I've written a lot of Java. I can do Java, but yeah. I do not want to do Java. <laughs> so just... All right. Question for the room. And Bianca. The uh, objective statement or whatever, you know, they put a top of resume. Is that important or not? I usually don't read it unless it's like specifically tailored to Netflix, but typically it's not. It's like, I'm looking for a senior software engineering position. I'm like, okay. Well, we only have those, so (laughs) great. But yeah, I would say leave it off. It's extra space. Most people probably don't read it. I didn't even know what that was. I've seen it, and like I don't do it, but I've seen other people do it. It's I think it's just like where you went to school and who talked about a resume. Totally. It's usually like a statement saying like what you want to do next. Like my objective of applying to this role is X Y Z. Pretty much is what it is. Okay, fair enough. I thought applying to that job made sense, but yeah. Yeah, it is kind of an interesting thing. I think it's one of those like older techniques with resumes. There's like a lot of, and some companies even say you should still submit a cover letter. Like I would say not to Netflix for sure, but I wish we had another recruiter from another company in the room because if it was different there, then that would be helpful. But from what I've seen, like less is more and being very concise in what you've done is more helpful. Kind of leaves them wanting more. When you say less is more, like when working on resumes, I've always struggled. Like, do I cut out um, experience that I've had? Like, do I go for listing all of the different experience I've had? Or do I just try to be really concise in each one so that every job position that I've had that's relevant to the position that I'm applying for is there? Or do you think that it's better to just maybe have the stuff that's more relevant now or perhaps just most recent? 
So I would say that you should include all of your experience unless it's like an internship, just because I will, I personally would notice like if there was a gap. So if you graduated college and then all of a sudden it was like, and five years later, she started working as a software engineer, then I would be like, what did she do for those five years? Was she like working at Starbucks? She didn't want to put it on her resume. So I would at least list it and maybe like one or two bullet points and then expound upon the more relevant uh, positions that you would be applying for. So you wouldn't put an internship on? That is experience too. It's like someone might be applying to a job that that is their experience. So you would want right. to really Okay, that yes, on. sorry. Yeah. I'm sorry. For Netflix specifically, I wouldn't include it. For any other company, especially if you are coming out of college or you're pretty new out of college, then I would in- include those things. Hmm. It's one of the most common questions we get all the time on Twitter, like when we had the, uh, the call-in show, was... I'm brand new. I just graduated college or just finished a boot camp. Yeah. What do I put on my resume to get your attention? Yeah. My first suggestion would be network, network, network. Before you even write a resume is find every connection that you can to your university out in the field. Um, talk to everyone that you can within your kind of circle that can kind of introduce you to people um, because that actually will help you more than a resume will ever. Um, So that's my first, like my primary suggestion would be to network. But in terms of your resume, um, I would hope and expect that a lot of people have worked, especially in the boot camps, have worked on really interesting projects. So that's what I would write about. The projects that you've worked on, if you're in school currently, some of the research that you've done, I mean, most colleges have you work on kind of interesting projects while you're in school. Um, So writing about that and and what you've studied, that can all be really helpful and insightful. Some companies I know look at like the classes that you took at certain colleges, so including those courses could be helpful depending on the role um, and also potentially a professor recommendation if you're still in school. If you've worked on a project that's really relevant to what you're applying to, then definitely write about it. Um, Whether it's been at scale or in production or not, you obviously have some general knowledge around what the people are working on. We've talked about a resume, but how important is having a LinkedIn profile? We don't have any of our panelists from LinkedIn here today, so you know, <laughs> really doesn't matter, actually. Yeah. Microsoft, because someone else would make that joke. Sorry, Derek and Brian, you're not here. <laughs> so it depends, uh, and it depends on the level of reach outs that you want. Um, I think LinkedIn has really shifted from even maybe five years ago. I think it previously was kind of this really cool network. Not that it's not cool anymore. I'm not saying that's not cool. Um, It was this really cool network where people would put their resume. They could connect with people. Um, No one really knew where it was heading kind of a thing. And then recruiters took a hold of it. And I'm sure everyone in this room gets at least one to two reach outs a week. I I hope you don't even check it. Um, (laughs) Because that's what it's primarily used for now is, is... reaching out for new opportunities. So I don't think it's critical to applying to a job. Um, I think recruiters have gotten really mm, dependent on it and the user interface is really easy to read. So it's kind of like an easy way to go back and check and read things really easily. But um, there's plenty of people who have been absolutely stellar candidates who didn't have a LinkedIn profile, who we've made offers to, who we've hired. And I almost appreciate them more because that means that they went out of their way to like handpick the places that they wanted to go rather than having this like platter served to them of all the jobs that they could have. Um, So it 
depends on your own objective for your career, I guess. Is what I, I actually say. feel it's like a must. I'm like, I'm interested to hear your thoughts on it, especially as a recruiter saying like, you don't need it. Uh, I like it. It's well presented resume. And it's like, I go to that and read mm-hmm. that even before a resume. If I had the choice, it's, it's easier for me to grasp and that. look at that. I totally agree. Even if I'm going to talk to someone on the phone or I'm going to talk to them right before an interview, it's a good quick way for me to just double check and go, oh yeah, this is who I'm talking to. They've worked at these companies. These are some of the bulleted uh, highlights that they want to share. So I think it is very valuable. I can see your point though, too, is it's definitely gets a lot of recruiting reach outs from it though too i mean i totally think it's valuable from my perspective i hope that everyone listening to this podcast has a linkedin profile so i can find you (laughs) Um, just kidding not kidding though Um, but at the same time i think it just depends um for me like i if someone only has a resume i would just look at that for the same purpose um I, of course, prefer LinkedIn because, again, it is easier to look at than, like, text really small on a page. But I would suggest that everyone has one just so that Netflix can at least reach out to you one time. (laughs) (laughs) What about, like, GitHub pages and even portfolio websites? Portfolio websites used to be a huge thing. I feel like I don't see them as much anymore. Is that a must? Do you Like, even as engineers, do you feel like you have to put together... A portfolio website or have a github like is that a score against you if you were interviewing someone they didn't have github they didn't have a portfolio site with any of their work how does that weigh in your factor mm, i'm gonna say no only because i haven't updated my website in like five years <laughs> i just i think in the beginning it was important maybe if you have no experience yep. it's probably much more important to be yeah. like here's what i built here's what it looks like here's a link to the code whereas now like i've been in a few companies and i have experience and like i kind of don't need it anymore you can just ask me and i'll tell you but to your point, I would agree that it's for someone coming right out of school or a boot camp, show off your work. Like really take those projects and like, hey, I built this or this is a side project that I've built. It really can help speak to like your skill set and actually being able to do something. Whereas like you can't lean on, oh, I worked at X, Y, and Z company. It's like I'm right out of school, but I've built this project or I've, you know, built the small feature you can actually show off your work better and i think that's where the website or portfolio site comes into play yeah i agree especially for people with less experience github is a great way to showcase your skills um to companies because they will go through that look through your code cheers (laughs) as far as the personal website goes uh be careful with it especially if you haven't updated it in a while and it's like you know, from early 2000s, because that could almost hurt you, you know, with just, I'm just saying, like, if I look at that and it's like .html. We're checking our websites right now. <laughs> like, fix website, on to do. Only if you include it. Like, I wouldn't, like, go out and search for your website. But if you right. include it as a part of your application, then I'm like, okay, this person's proud of this. What does this mean? You yeah. know? Um, so just be conscientious of that for sure. Um, like if I searched your website and I was like, okay, out of date, then that's on me, not on you. Cause you didn't send that to me. But if you send it to me, then it's on you. So make sure that it's up to date if you're using it as a way to market yourself. 
One thing I've seen when I was applying, or that I saw a lot of when I was applying to Netflix, and one of the things I emulated in my personal website was to have it act as like a hub for links out to other mm-hmm. things that were m- easier to update. So like GitHub, LinkedIn, yep. Twitter, Twitter. Um, Facebook, or, or whatever. Things mm-hmm. that were easy, that were safe to share with a professional as well as a personal network. Um, and then the page itself acts as like, here is my bio, here are the things I'm passionate mm-hmm. about, really short, really succinct then from there you can go out to other places and I think that that I really liked in other people's personal websites and I think it's been working well for me at least yeah I yeah that's great I would only echo is like don't link to something that you don't want someone to see right like Mm -hmm. if it's yeah if your Twitter account's not something you want the recruiters right of course yeah then make sure your privacy settings are sick I'll say this and I've seen it more than once surprisingly people's personal website they'll link to their portfolio website, whatever, which has a link to their blog. Their blog's not technical. It's kind of their own personal opinions. Unfortunately, like, I'm going to read those because I want to know who you are. And sometimes, like, you can get into trouble because they just say some just outrageous things that you wouldn't say in an interview. But I'm still going to see it because it's linked to your website. I would probably separate those if at all possible. Yeah, if you're worried about those opinions and if they're, you can't separate them. Yeah. Yeah. I've seen some things, man. There you go. (laughs) I guess that leads me into my next point of like, how honest should someone be in an interview or or phone screen, like in person or on the phone? How honest should a candidate be? I have some opinions on this for (laughs) sure. All right, let's hear them. I think that you should be honest for sure. Be, you know, upfront and direct. However, be mature about it as well. If you badmouth your company in a way that is not mature, that is throwing your company under the bus, that's throwing your boss under the bus, then it's very likely that um, that's just a bad look on you. Uh, So if you're not happy where you are, think about a very um, appropriate way to tell someone that you are looking for something else. Uh, Because, you know, we look at that as, hmm, this is how they talk about their current role, their current manager, their current team like what if they come here and that's the same kind of dissenting opinion that they bring with them uh and so it definitely factors against you however um i think honesty and vulnerability on that flip side has been one of the best areas that i've seen in candidates uh, in terms of their fit the people who are really honest about their shortcomings in ways that they're humble and that they've learned from them um, those are my favorite conversations because that doesn't happen very on it often. Uh, so those are those are my two pieces of advice. Be professionally mature in your dissenting opinions and be vulnerable in the areas that you you know know that you still have gaps um, or that you're not proud of. Be humble. That was really well said. <laughs> yeah, I've, I've had interviews where I've had someone bad mouthing their company or speaking negative of their boss or someone like on their team and it is very off-putting because you're right you look at that and you're like well how are you going to act if you come here I get there is some negative things that happen Um, I've definitely had bosses that I did not like and they did not treat me well and I get that but I think it's all on how you approach that and sell it to the next company you can do it properly Mm -hmm. I say I agree with everything you said But I say, like, mostly honest. So when you're looking for a job, you go through, like, you know, the the circus of talking to five, six recruiters. And sometimes it's a company that I'm not necessarily thrilled about. So you kind of have to fake it a little bit because you just don't know. And it's their job to sell you. Don't tell the company that. Yeah, but, like, if I'm like, yeah, look at your company. And it's, like, I don't know, uh, financial tech, which is not exciting to me at all. But 
Like, isn't it their job to sell it to me? Or should I just be like, yeah, I'm kind of on the fence. But as a recruiter, are you like, oh, they're turned off because they don't want to do it? Or like, how does that? I think I would be more turned off if someone told me like, "Mm, what you're doing doesn't sound hard or complex. Or I don't really like the job itself doesn't sound interesting. Well, if they say the job itself doesn't sound interesting, maybe there's another role that would sound better. Um, When people tell me like, hey, I'm kind of on the fence. Like, I take that as a challenge. And I'm like, okay, and now I'm gonna sell you um, and figure out like all the ways that I can get you to be excited. So um, I just would say like, if you are interviewing at a company that you're not excited about, like why are you interviewing there? Like don't use it as a backup for yourself, um, but be at least like a little bit interested in it. And then yeah, the te- it's part of the team's role to sell you, um, but it's also, you know, part of your role to sell yourself as well. So it's give and take for sure. But I think you can kind of tell them, like, I'm not sure about this. Maybe I'd say I'm not sure about it. Like, I haven't really thought about this for my next step in my career. Well, that's a good one. Write it down. <laughs> <laughs> Don't write that down. Write it down. Right <laughs> <laughs> what about how honest should someone be? I, I feel like this is a question that comes up often, mainly with recruiting, but you're asked about salary expectations and what you currently make in your current role. How honest should you be to the recruiting team? I've heard varying opinions on And at this. what stage, too? Because you yeah. your level of honesty could change depending on where you are with that company, perhaps. That's true. Totally. Yeah. yeah, like, because the first initial conversation, right. it You're might like, be... like, I need to make this much. That's kind of off-putting. Yeah. It could be. It can be. It totally could be, depending on the company. And if they could meet that expectation, you could just end the conversation there. If you come in way too high for something that they could meet. Tell me, if I ask you your comp... Tell the recruiters at Netflix because we actually use it as data. Um, But at other companies, I would never, ever suggest to tell a recruiter your current comp until you get closer to a close. Um, Because what they do um, is that they use it as a negotiation tool uh, in order to get you at the least amount of money possible. So they take your current comp, they bring it back to their comp board or whatever, um, and they use it as negotiation to make sure that they can still bring you in at a number that you're like kind of excited about, but it's not going to be maybe the very top of market. Um, I actually recently saw this with a candidate um, who we made an offer to, uh, who had another offer, competing offer, who they just barely went over his comp. Um, and we brought him in, of course, at top of market. And so, you know, once they heard that, they bumped it significantly, like 50 per, 50%. Um, so what I would say is, you know, don't tell recruiters your comp if it's not Netflix, because we're a little bit more transparent and honest about it um, until towards the end, because that's one of those things that they use kind of against you, unfortunately. Um, but I would be really honest about where you expect to come in um, once you get a little bit farther along. Like maybe not the initial conversation, but you could have that conversation around like, hey, I don't know if it makes sense for us to continue having this conversation because this is what I'm looking for. And if it's a startup or whatever it might be, um, you can just have a very honest conversation there about like, does it make sense for us to continue? Like, here's what I'm thinking in terms of what what compensation would excite me. And don't give them like a hard stop number, but like more of a range. Um, And maybe they can meet it and then it's like, okay, I should continue and not waste my time. Or they say like, there's no way then. Yeah, I think sometimes there is that early conversation could be helpful in the sense that it's hard for someone to take a pay 
decrease. Like that right. that's always hard, especially if you have family or you're paying a mortgage or whatever it is. Like we all have different things in life. You have that expected salary expectation that you've had for, you know, years or the past year and moving somewhere that they're like, oh, it's 50% of that. It's like, well, that might not cut it for you in life. So I think sometimes you could have that conversation up front or at least be honest what you expect. To follow up on the data point for Netflix, Bianca, can you explain like what that means? You said it's a little bit different if someone's sharing their salary for you for Netflix and you use that as a data point. What does that mean? Yeah, that's a good point. So Netflix pays top of market and we pay top of personal market. So that does look a little bit different than just like generic top of market. So we look at everyone's skill set within the company and we collect data from every person that we talk to um, in order to really understand where the market falls today. And so we want to make sure that our engineers are not leaving because they could make more more money elsewhere, um, but that they're staying because they love their job, they know that they're compensated well, they trust us, etc. And so what we do with that data when we ask you for your compensation is we put it in a very large data set um, and we, we look at it in terms of the market. And so um, for some people, they're already at top of market and those are the most helpful data points for our current engineers. Um, they help us really determine where compensation is, is falling in the market place and help us adjust our engineers uh, accordingly. And then for others, um, they aren't at top of market. And so what that helps us do is really understand the full range of the market. Um, but what it doesn't do is it doesn't determine what your salary will be at Netflix. So if you're at top of market already, we're going to consider that, of course. Um, but if you're not at top of market, we're not going to just give you like the blanket 10% above what you're currently at. We're going to pay you top of market. For some people, that looks like doubling their salary. For some people, it doesn't, of course, depending on where they're at. But it's one of those unique things about Netflix that we have the opportunity to, instead of bringing you in at the lowest possible point that you're excited about, bringing you at the highest possible point. So we always put our best foot forward first. I, I can agree. I mean, now that I work at Netflix, I can say that's absolutely true. Ryan, you could have lowballed me like much, much lower, and I would have been like, this is more than I'm making. Yeah. But you didn't. And like, I appreciated that too. Like, it was honest. You're just and like, we asked you set what you're getting paid and like what you expected. And I, I do remember that conversation. And even what you expected was a lot, it was more than what you were making current uh, before coming to Netflix. We didn't just meet that or go like 5% above that. We look at it as a top of market. When asking questions of people that you're interviewing, what are some signs of unhealthy company culture or things that you should be looking for in, in a company that you're interviewing with? I'm going to say high turnover at the C-levels. If you just like went through two VPs in the past year, like that's telling me something about your company right there. Or um, general like age of... I always ask this if I'm interviewing with another engineer. I'll be like, how long have you been at the company? Why are you still here? And if you've been here six months and everybody in your team's been here six months, but your company's like 10 years old, like that tells me something about your team that people don't stick around after a certain amount of time. I'll tell you one thing that I hear and immediately will end any conversation is if I hear someone tell me that they work hard and they play hard. That's <laughs> oh, it. <man. laughs> All right. That's a, yeah, that's a red flag. I'm out the door. Huge red flag. <laughs> think of even uh, year one experience interviewing with a company where I think you went in late at night and there were people still <gasps> yes. there. Uh, that one. Six o'clock and everyone was still there. 
Yeah, that's bad I noticed that. You even that. I was interviewed at 6 p.m., right? Like, <laughs> yeah. I think I was heading out to vacation the next day or something. I, had a I good think they were being, so yeah, they, were being, like they were being flexible. I would say, like, uh oh. Why are they interviewing yeah. me at 6 p.m.? I think I requested that time. So. Okay. Yeah, but the still. fact that the whole entire team but is still, still there. there. Yeah. Yeah. There's like 10 people huddled around the coffee machine. Hmm. Yeah, oh, wait, I have more. I, I, I've got more. That's a good one. Uh, the staying late. It's like, oh, we have for a free dinner if you're here past 7 o'clock. <laughs> That's a red flag right there. Like, why would anybody be here past 7 o'clock in an average work day? But you enough have to so stay there. Enough that they would that they would make dinner. Like, right. enough dinner. Right. Like, I've definitely been at companies where there's been some crunch time or we were shipping something and they've totally offered to pick up dinner, which they should, but it's not like this thing that's daily. always a daily thing. There are companies, yes, definitely in the Bay Area that offer that and you have to be there. Se it's not even that's seven o'clock. Okay. Yeah, it's a perk. <laughs> there's even been ones, I know of one company, it's eight o'clock. Which to me is like, That's what? That's way dinner. too late. I'd be starving by that point. I'd be sleeping by that point. It, there you go. And so you have to be working till that point. I think if a company offers dinner as like you can take home dinner... That's awesome because that is a good perk that you just don't have to think about dealing with dinner and everything. If you look at it as a positive that way is that I've worked hard all day. I don't want to have to think about what I'm making for dinner. That is cool. But yeah, making me work longer hours to get that free dinner that's not free dinner it's not free yeah oh wait another one i have so many of these um <laughs> love if it if i ask you if i say like what time is everybody in the office and you're giving me like a fixed schedule it's like everybody's in the office by 9 30 unknown leaving time but like if you just say like everybody's in the office by a certain time that tells me something about your philosophy on engineering and like butts in the seats versus actual productivity versus Say, so like, oh, I can come and go as I please within reason and, like, don't miss your sure. meetings. But yeah. if you're saying, like, no, you're going to be in the office at this time, that just means you want the CEO to look out and be like, everybody's here. But that's not the same as being productive, which tells me a lot about your culture. Yeah, I hate the ass and seat model, like, so much. When people are staying there just because their manager or C-suite person is there, it's or like, you want free dinner. <laughs> or you want free dinner. Like, I mean, that rolls back into the, yeah, why, why are you bribing me to stay longer? Well, and that's the thing yeah, is those people, point. are they continuing to work to get that 8 o'clock dinner? No, they're probably just hanging out. They're not working that hard. So they're why boring. make them do, yeah, it's it's terrible. Um, one of the things I've asked of recruiters, or at least in my most recent job search, that kind of like put me off of certain company cultures is when you ask about feedback and sort of the um, inter, like just the inner office relationships. And like, oh yeah, we only do our feedback cycles every six months to a year. And it just kind of, I've, I've heard that before and it's kind of put me off and that no one is open to talking about issues except for those every six months to a year periods. And it seems That's like something like that could build a very toxic relationship or or at least in the office. And when you ask then about how people approach other engineers or um, their managers about feedback and everyone's like, yes, if you have a problem with a colleague, you go to your manager, they might go to their manager and mm. then they'll deal with it. Mm -hmm. And I think that can kind of build a somewhat toxic work environment. Absolutely. I have a couple. <laughs> Some of the ones that I get asked commonly are, what are the reporting structures? So for us, super flat, it's a manager, director, VP. But at other companies, it's a manager, another manager, two directors, and like six removed from the VP, and then tw 
25 removed from the CEO kind of a thing. Um, and what that tells me about those companies is just your limited scope uh, and your your impact that you're going to make. It's probably your manager, your manager's manager, your director's director's director um, who's making those decisions that you're going to be implementing. Um, additionally, another question that I would ask is how big is the team? Um, so if you find out that you're going to be on a team of 50, like, okay, that's huge. What are you doing? Like, what what impact are you going to make on that team? Um, I think that will tell a lot about the company culture and how they value either the role that you're stepping into, team that you're stepping into, etc. Um, and another question that I would ask any, like, recruiter or manager um, is just like the information share down like how much do they actually know about where the company is heading um, when you talk to bigger companies it might be harder for them to get that information startups probably get that information passed down to them really easily but that'll tell you as well um, how much information you're going to have about the company where it's heading um, and kind of the, the foreseeable future outside of just this if you're working, if it's a really big team, really small piece of code, you might not really know where the company's heading and that you could potentially lose passion for what you're doing pretty quickly, I would assume. Yeah, even like your question about asking the team size, if you're talking to the manager, how many direct reports do they have? Because if, if it was 50, that probably means you're not going to have as much of attention as you should have. And I think that could really impact your job for sure. Mm-hmm. Quasi-related, what is everybody's thoughts on the social interview? Explain the social interview. So social interview is like, uh, you know, you go through one round, two round, whatever, how many rounds. And at the end, sometimes you go out and like you meet the team and like have a drink with them, things yep. like that. That's not that uncommon. I know some people are like, it's great. I get to know everybody and see if like, are they douchebags or not? Other times it's just like, I hate that. I'm not good in social settings. What's everybody's thought? I don't think it should necessarily be a requirement, but I think there could be some value, maybe not for drinks too, but maybe it's just grabbing lunch with the team. It's a nice, easy way to ask some questions about the role too. It doesn't necessarily be like, oh, do I want to hang out with these people? But you, it's a little more informal way of asking some questions and just getting to understand their day to day. I can see some negatives to it as well. I like it. <laughs> I always suggest it. And the reason why, I have a couple of reasons. Um, because normally people choose a job because of the people that they're working with and the job that they're going for. So if you met your team and you realize, like, there's, I would be really passionate about this job, but there's no way that I could work with these people, you're probably not going to choose that job. Um, I hear time and time and time again from candidates, like, I loved the team. Like, that's one of the first things that people bring up to me when I'm closing them is like, I can see myself fitting into this team. And that's often the biggest selling point for them. Um, and so we treat it a little bit less of an, it's not an interview at all. We try not to make it feel like an interview and more so an opportunity for candidates to really get to know the people who they'd be working with. I hope that other companies do the same thing, but it's a great opportunity for you to take that um Take that by the the horns, I guess, and and really understand the people that you'll be working with. Ask good questions. Um, it's off, often a lot more casual, so people are a lot more honest as well. So sometimes you can get some of the answers that you really want out of them and that aren't like PC and very polished or trained. So I think it's really important. And it's usually like one of the, one of the reasons that people decide to come is because they met the team. They loved them. When I'm interviewing somewhere, it's like, 
do I want to work with these people? Do yeah. they seem like a great team? Uh, I actually know when I joined Netflix, I had met a lot of people on our team before I ever even talked about interviewing. Like Ryan and I met at a conference. That that was a big introductory to like me actually joining Netflix. Is like I knew the team or like knew some of the engineers I'd be working with, and that was huge. That really helped me understand. I wasn't interviewing at the time, like you and I had known each other for a couple of years before I ever came here, but it, it definitely helps. Oh, another red flag. I got so many. The recruiter, A, they don't have defined steps about like, here's what's going to happen next. If it's just kind of like ambiguous, just, mm. yeah, we might give you a call at some point. Like my time's valuable, your time's valuable. Like don't do that. Second, if they don't respond when they say they do, like they respond two weeks later, then that to me is like a reflection of the internal culture of just, well, they're not on top of the game. Uh, someone messaged me like, it was a few months ago, and they said, hey, I interviewed and like, or something happened and like they didn't talk to a recruiter. I was like, oh, I followed up on that really quickly because I was like, that's not the way we do things. Yeah. And like, I know for a fact that's not the way we do things. But I know lots of people that's like six months later, the recruiter gets back to them or something like that. And it's just, that's a red that's flag weird. right there. Like, yeah. you're definitely, you're not treated like priority. And that, yeah. that does feel really shitty. Well, also, what that tells me is that that company's super slow. Like, if that's how long they're, they're taking to like make a decision or whatever it might be, like, you can guarantee that that's how long they're going to make engineering decisions as well. Huh. That's interesting. Because yeah. there is a certain large tech company <laughs> google uh, yeah, that's really well known for that <laughs> months and months and i like i remember i've talked to their they pride themselves times. on that yeah they yeah, like they like, like taking forever three months we'll get back to you I was like three months i'll be a different person like yeah could you imagine if we had to change a new technology at netflix or we wanted to support something new in our code base and it was really going to take months to do that like to have those conversations that's kind of what bianca's getting at too is do they mo move slow on that too is that Most just how likely. the company makes those decisions? Probably. It's usually because there's a lot of process that bogs things. Yes. Not to bash on other companies and how they recruit Feel at free. all. No, <laughs> <laughs> but I think that's why a lot of companies move slowly is because there's a ton of process. It's like you have to go through a committee and then they have to get the comp approved and then the VP has to approve it and then the CEO has to approve it. It's like absolutely insane. So they can't move quickly, but it is indicative of how other decisions are being made as well. There was one company I interviewed with. It's a large company in the Bay Area, and they literally had to have the CEO sign off on every single... I know what company that is. I'll leave them nameless. <laughs> but <laughs> it's a large company, and the fact is, is like I, I could maybe see that when you're a couple hundred people, but when you're 10,000 people, that doesn't really make sense. How would you even have context to sign off on a hire? But it would take forever. And I, I know the recruiter that I was working with, she was saying, like, this is going to take a while. And, and she, at least she was upfront and honest and explained the process. But the thing is, it took too long. And so, like, I, I've seen them lose candidates because of that. So that, that's kind of got to be frustrating, too. I'm sure, Bianca, you face that, too, is like, that's frustrating when you're trying to hire someone. It's also frustrating when you're interviewing with those companies and we're trying to hire you because <laughs> we move quick. Yes, we do yeah. move we quick. We have your offer like out the door, basically. And they're like, we're not even sure. <laughs> oh my gosh. Make up your mind. Yeah, Figure it out. <laughs> At the end of each episode, we like to share pics of things that we have found interesting and would like to share with our listeners. Let's go around the table and share our pics for today's episode. Ryan, you want to start it off? Sure. So, um... It's kind of funny, when I made this first pick, I didn't realize that there actually might be listeners of ours that this doesn't apply to at all. 
Uh, and it's the Spotify Time Capsule playlist, and it picks hit songs from your teens um, and kind of plays them back. And I just realized that we probably have some listeners that are in their teens, so it would just be today's music. But uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, if you're not in your teens, uh, it's a really cool way to just kind of live some of your uh, relive some of your moments from high school, college, whatever. And the second one is a presentation on SlideShare that I, I'll come back to every now and then because I always forget about these uh, little things, but it, it's pretty interesting and helpful. And it's called Dirty Hacks from the Dark Corners of Front End. <laughs> so there's all kinds of interesting little hacks that uh, are in this slideshow. So those are my picks. Jim, what do you have? Oh, I'm still reading these dirty hacks. <laughs> uh, they're really dirty. <laughs> uh, my first pick is Firefox Focus. So it's a mobile browser. Backstory, I hate ads. Like, I, I just I don't like being tracked around the internet. So if I want to look something up, I almost always go into incognito on my mobile browser because I know that if I look up, say, a couch, I'm going to be getting couch ads for the next six months, and that's really frustrating. Yeah. Everywhere. Yeah, everywhere. It's just, ah, uh, it's, yeah, it's I'm really, really aggravating. So I almost always do all my searches in incognito so I don't have to get tracked like that. I don't have to see ads that are not relevant. Firefox Focus uh, does that by default. So it only has one session. You can't open multiple tabs. The minute you close it or you can just clear your session, just clears out everything, and then you start over. So it's pretty much like permanent incognito, which is really useful when you're just trying to look up directions of something or trying to see, like, oh, I want to know how much um, this lamp costs or things like that. Yeah. Uh, it's really, really awesome, very fast browser. It's it's not full functional, but it's much faster than, like, Chrome or even Firefox Mobile. So pretty sweet browser, Firefox Focus, Mozilla, killing it as usual. Uh, my second pick is my headphones, Sony MDR-1000X. I've been doing a lot of traveling in the past uh, two months, and the noise canceling on the Sony headphones are amazing. Just, you don't realize how loud an airplane is until you take them off. And then you're just like, what? What was I doing the rest of my life that I just had to listen to this? They're beautiful. They're a little expensive. But if you travel a lot, get some noise canceling headphones. I recommend the MDR X1000. We should get sponsored by Sony. Then we can all have headphones. That'd be awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Please include me. Done. No, I'm with Jem on that. I'm a nervous flyer, and the minute I put in noise-canceling headphones, the sound of the engine's going away. Just, like, I got a whole lot calmer. Um, Not to mention the alcohol I was drinking. But the headphones <laughs> had a huge market. <laughs> okay, so my first pick is a little bit of self-promotion. Um, a colleague and I are have been confirmed as speakers for the November 17th HTML5 meetup. Um, up in the city, if you're in the Bay Area, I'll be talking about how pool and code re-architectures have, you know, something to do with each other. And then the second is um, actually a visualization put together by one of our previous speakers, Shirley Wu. So Hamilton is a great soundtrack, and she went through and did a very thorough analysis of all the characters and the lines in every song and who they're sung by and who they're sung to. And so she has an interactive visualization of every line in Hamilton, and it's uh, really pretty looking and it's got a lot of information on it. So Yeah, she did a really impressive job yeah, on this. Yeah, it's very detailed and really thorough. It looks pretty as well, so... Okay, I'm not that interesting of a person, and I've been trying to think of something really interesting all day, and I didn't know I was supposed to have two. You don't need two. So, okay. You can have one. You can Number have one. ten. You can have... Okay, I'm going to talk... First, I got the Apple Watch 3, and awesome. I think it's amazing. However, I do wish that I did get the cellular function. Did you get it? Oh, I'm still on the first watch. Oh, you are. Okay. Yeah. Well, 
it really is a lot better than the first watch. I didn't have the first watch, but my husband has it, and he's pretty jealous. And my accuracy, I think, is a lot more accurate when we like compare walks and stuff. So, that watch three, pretty, pretty good so far. And I now I got a ticket for talking on my cell phone, which I didn't know was a law. To ha- I didn't know you couldn't have it on speakerphone. Like I think this changed a while ago. In the car? Yeah, Ooh. so bad. In my hand, so bad. So now I can okay. talk on my. F- I mean, I know you could do this before too, but yeah. speaker <laughs> enhancement on this Apple Watch, amazing. Now I can't get pulled over. It's great. Okay, second. It's so bad. I know. So <laughs> no, that's so good. I love it. And the cop didn't even give me any chance. No chance at all. Like, sometimes I can get out, out of tickets. I've gotten out of all my tickets. Tell this for a moment. Second, how many times have you gotten pulled over? Like, five. <laughs> <laughs> She's it's, gotten good it's, at it's this. It's pretty impressive. That's not yeah. bad. Okay, um, second pick. And if Ryan talks about this, then sorry. We're having JavaScript talks here at the end of the month uh, at Netflix campus. And AUI is the one who's going to be speaking. I won't butcher their, their titles, but we're talking about React and sign up flows yeah. <laughs> or, or something. We're talking about some React and Redux, how we leverage it in our sign up flows. So, yes. So, October 25th, if you're coming from the city, we do have lift codes for you. Nice. If you're not able to make it, we are posting the videos online afterwards on the Netflix uh, UIE YouTube channel, so I can link to that as well. Great. Awesome. I have two picks. One is actually another podcast. It's the Women in Tech Show. Really great podcast. I've only listened to a few episodes, but they have really good uh, interviews with prominent technical leaders, women engineers. It's it's really, really good uh, interviews that I've listened to so far. I haven't got through the whole catalog yet, but uh, the last couple episodes I've listened to I've really enjoyed. So definitely worth checking that one out. And then uh, I like this whole like going to speaking events and everything. I'm going to follow suit with Bianca and Mars. I'm actually going to plug a, another conference, Kotlin Conference, which is not having to do with JavaScript, but I'm excited to go to a Android-specific conference that's coming up in November. So if anyone's there, I will be attending as well. It looks like a really good lineup of speakers. All right, before we end the episode, I want to thank Bianca for joining us. Uh, it was a pleasure having you join us on this episode. Where can people get in touch with you? Uh, you can find me on LinkedIn, Bianca Bordalusi, kind of hard to spell, or you can reach out to me directly. My email is bbordalusi at netflix.com. Right on. Thank you all for listening to today's episode. We'd love to hear about your nightmares of recruiters reaching out or any interviews that you've had uh, nightmares on. Tweet us at HH. Any last words? Brian sucks. <laughs> Cheers. Cheers. <laughs>